All right, we come now to the preaching of the word of God. And I want you to think about that phrase for just a moment before we pray. The preaching of the word of God. Not the preaching of the word of man. Not the preaching of the ideas of men. But what this is supposed to be is a time where we gather around as disciples of Jesus. The word of God. The preaching of the word of God. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to ask you to join me as we ask for the Lord's blessing on the preaching of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we just sang to you and praised your holy name and we want to do it again Even now, Lord, we want to bow before you as our great king. And we hallow your name today, Lord. You are the mighty warrior. You defeated the Egyptians, Lord, for your people as you brought them out of Egypt. And even more so, God, you have defeated our sin. You have risen up like a mighty one, a warrior. You came into this world to destroy the works of the devil. And you've done it, Lord Jesus. You are the conquering king. And all of your enemies will be set under your footstool as a footstool for your feet. And we are your subjects, Lord Jesus. And we gladly proclaim this day your kingship. You have been given the name that is above every name. You are Lord You are Lord of all. You are Lord in every way. And we love you, God. We love you. We've never been loved like you have loved us, Lord Jesus. You washed us from our sins with your own blood. Thank you for your grace, Lord. God, thank you for the gospel. Lord, we come to your word as a church this morning. And we desire to submit to you. As king, we desire to learn from you, Lord Jesus, as master. Lord, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit this day that you would open our understanding, that you would open our minds, that we could comprehend the scriptures today. And Lord, we ask for grace, your grace, to be powerfully at work within us, Lord, that you would grant us a heart, a a great desire to obey you, Lord. God, we pray that your word would run to and fro today and conquer your enemies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read God's word together this morning. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word to Grace Community Church this morning. So what we have in this passage is more of what we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount. And what we've seen is Jesus pressing his, uh, the main theme, you could call it the thesis in the Sermon on the Mount. And the main theme is the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. I want you to pause. I want to say that again. What's the main theme of the Sermon on the Mount? The righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. This is what Jesus is pressing again in this passage. And so we see Jesus doing more of what Jesus has already done in the Sermon on the Mount. And what he does here is he describes for us two ways to live. There are two ways to live. And so I want you to remember that Jesus has been pressing this distinction in the Sermon on the Mount, he's been drawing that division between the church and and the world. You say, what do you mean? What, what divisions? Well, the Beatitudes. There are those who are poor in spirit, and there are those who are not. There are those who mourn, and there are those who don't. And on and on and on. There, there are those who are the, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. That's the church. And there are those who are not. That's the world. And so there's a division that's being made. And, and even uh, in chapter 6, he's been showing this division between the hypocrites, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, versus the true followers of King Jesus, the Christians. And so there's distinctions being made in the Sermon on the Mount, the two ways to live. And again, we come to this fork in the road, this binary choice that every individual has to make. Which way are you going to go? You going left or you going right? And Jesus sums this down that there are two ways and only two ways to live. The choice is illustrated uh, three times in our passage. There are two treasures. There are two eyes. We'll come back to that. And there are two masters. There are two ways and only two ways to live. And so the plain sense of this passage is that you will treasure something, you will look to something, and you will serve something. Therefore, choose wisely, Jesus says. You're going to treasure something, you're going to look to something, and you're going to serve something. Choose Wisely, Jesus says there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those whose treasure is on earth. And there are those whose treasure is in heaven. There are those who serve God. And there are those who serve money. And, and this binary, this simpling down is very helpful for us. In our world that you know, destroys everything by nuance. You can't speak in, in, in this you know, antithesis. Uh, uh, it's either this way or this way, but Jesus does this. He simplifies after all the nuance, okay? After all the appropriate, appropriate explanations, you either fit in one category or the other. You are either for Christ or 
against Christ. Life really is this simple. There are two ways and only two ways to live. In this passage, Jesus deals with the heart. He deals with the eyes and he deals with the life. And we're going to move through these three illustrations together. And on first glance, at least my first glance, I don't know if this struck you, but these illustrations can appear disconnected, especially that second one about the eyes. So in the first one, we're talking about the heart and money. And in the last one, we're talking about, you know, allegiance to God or money. But in the second one, it appears to make this detour. But what I hope to show us from this passage is that there's a common theme running through these three illustrations. And I believe that that theme is loyalty. Jesus is teaching us what it means to be loyal to the Lord. And Jesus warns us in all three of these illustrations of the one thing, one of the things that's going to uh, compete for our loyalty to the Lord is earthly possessions. This is his teaching in this passage. This is what we want to lean in and learn from Jesus of how to be loyal followers of the Lord our God. And we want to be greatly warned this morning about the love of money. Jesus shows us in chapter 6 what faith looks like. You might answer the question, what must I do to be saved? And you might answer that question, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is absolutely right. Faith alone, in Christ alone, salvation comes to us by the grace of God. But as we begin to think about that, but what does that faith look like? We can't see it. We can't smell it. We can't touch it. What does it look like? And Jesus shows us in Matthew chapter 6 that faith looks like loyalty and trust. Loyalty and trust. Our passage today is going to deal with loyalty. Our passage next week is going to focus on trust. And so according to Jesus Christ, a believer will be a follower of the Lord. A believer will be loyal to the Lord their God, one who is loyal to the king. And so I want us to move through this passage under these three illustrations that Jesus gives, each, each pointing us to loyalty to God. Three ways. In verses 19 through 21, we see the loyalty of the heart. In verses 22 through 23, we see the loyalty of the eyes. And in verse 24, we see the loyalty of the whole life. That's where we're headed this morning. And then he's going to give us three warnings and three encouragements to obey him. And so we're going to start with number one. Jesus lays out a principle for us in verse 21 that everything else in this passage is revolving around. This principle will never be violated ever, ever. And here's the principle, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we're saying that this principle is, you can't break it. It's always going to be true in every single circumstance where your treasure is, is where your heart's going to be. So we need to note this well, this unbreakable connection 
between what we value and where our heart resides. What we treasure is where our heart is and there are no exceptions. And so one of the things that these binary choices, this fork in the road, two ways to live, forces us to deal with is what we could call the myth of neutrality. The myth of neutrality, when the Bible speaks in this binary way, you're either this or this, the myth of neutrality is this, yeah, but what about this third category? Well, Jesus is doing away with that in this passage. There is no neutral human beings. There are no blank slates. In this room, there is no one in this room whose heart is neutral right now. It's impossible. You are treasuring something right now. There is no exceptions to this. This is how God made us. Right now, you have a treasure. Right now, you are treasuring. Right now, you are living towards your treasure. Unbreakable principle. No no blank slates. Every man has a treasure, which means that the heart of every single person is either set, number one, on the things that are on the earth, or number two, on the things that are in heaven. Every human being fits in one of those two categories. Your heart right now is fixed on the things that are on the earth, or by the grace of God, your heart is fixed on the things that are in heaven. And given this principle, hear the command of Jesus Christ in verse 19. He says, this is the way it works. Your your heart's either one place or the other. And then he gives us this command. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. King Jesus says, don't do it. Do not do this. He's exercising his authority and his wisdom. Through his word this morning, he says, don't do it. Don't store up treasures that are on the earth. So we have a warning here this morning. And we want to take heed and we want to obey our Lord. But I want to mention a few qualifiers about this warning before we dial down just to what Jesus means in this commandment in verse 19. One clarifier is this. Jesus is not arguing with other verses in the Bible that teach us about prudence and diligent labor and wisdom of saving up for unseen circumstances. One of the things, I mean, I think we beat this like a dead horse. Some of you are probably tired of hearing it in Matthew 5. It's not Jesus versus Moses. The, what, what Jesus is doing in Matthew 5 is not, the Bible says this way for a long time, but Jesus changes his mind and says, now go this way. Jesus is not doing away with what the Bible teaches us about prudence and diligent labor. So this is not a prohibition against all forms of slavery and labor, but it is a prohibition against some forms of slave uh, of saving and labor. And we'll come back to that. That's qualification number one. Qualification number two is this is not just a warning for rich people. 
So one of the ways that we evade what the Bible teaches is we create these categories that the Bible doesn't allow us to have. This is not just a warning for rich people. Jesus' original audience in this sermon would have likely included many poor people, okay? And probably likely included very few rich people in the, in the original audience that heard these words, And nowhere in the Bible are we ever told that only rich people love money. We're never told that anywhere in the Bible. You can have almost no money and be absolutely eat up with the love of money. It's not just a warning for the rich. So, so get that out of your mind. Start thinking, you're, you're thinking about the six figure, you know, folks in your mind. Get that out of your mind right now and see yourself in this warning. Uh, Qualification number three is that treasure here includes money, but it's also broader than money in this sense. Treasure here can describe anything that has value to the one who possesses it. So whatever you possess, whatever that thing is that has value to you, it can be in this category of treasure. And so what is Jesus warning us about in This passage, he's warning us about the danger of viewing stuff as treasure. About about the danger of of viewing earthly stuff as the ultimate treasure. And this is the essence of idolatry, the very center of idolatry all throughout the scriptures is the elevation of the earthly to the ultimate. You take something good that God gave and you elevate it to the ultimate place. The Bible calls that idolatry. This is what Jesus is dealing with here in this passage. So I want you to fight uh, to get in your minds whatever that is, whatever those things are that tempt to grab your heart. That's That's what Jesus has in view with this warning. You need to be careful. You need to sober up. It could be wealth, it could be houses, it could be prosperous ease, well-paying jobs, it could be accomplishments, whether they're, they're educational or vocational accomplishments, it could be promotions, it could be influence, it could be balance sheets, it could be portfolios, it could be hobbies, it could be honor, it could be influence, it could be children, it could be health, it could be anything. That you would value as the ultimate thing. This is idolatry. This is idolatry. And so Jesus says in verse 19, that's not where the real treasure is. That's just stuff. That's just the stuff of earth. And he says, don't set your hearts there, verse 19. But he says the opposite in verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. This is just stuff. This is not where the real value is. Jesus says the real value are the things of heaven. And brothers and sisters, heaven is about God. Heaven is about God. It's not about streets of gold and and stone walls of gems in the the New Jerusalem. Heaven is about God. Jesus is, is the light that replaces the sun in the New Jerusalem, heaven is about God. And so Jesus is calling us to reorder our our valuation of what we see as valuable. It's not the stuff of earth. 
But it's the God of heaven. The God of heaven must become your treasure. He must become your ultimate desire. Everything else is idolatry, the Bible teaches. God must be your treasure. This is the first illustration. The second one is found in verse 22, where Jesus draws a connection between the eye and the body. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And we're going to spend some time working through this illustration because I want us to understand what it means. In verse 22, the literal translation, instead of your eye is healthy, would be if your eye is single. And that's exactly how the King James Bible translates uh, this word. If your eye is single, Jesus says your whole body will be full of light. What's that mean? What does that mean? This single eye in verse 22 is contrasted with the bad eye in verse 23. And that helps us a little bit. It doesn't mean that. If your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. If your eye is single, your body is full of light. What's going on here? How is a single eye good? And how is the opposite of a single eye bad? And I think we get some help here of the other places where this word is used in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the Apostle Paul uses this word to describe a Christian's singular devotion to Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians eleven three, there's that phrase, uh, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Same word here. And the idea is this single-minded pursuit of the Lord Jesus. This single eye that you have locked in focus. This laser beam loyalty to the Lord Jesus. So this is a way to describe a loyal follower of Jesus Christ. is a single-eyed man or woman. It would be similar to what the Bible says a one-woman man in the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3. The man has a, a, a laser beam focus for his bride, his wife, and no one else. It's loyalty, it's singularity, sincerity. There's another place, in other context, where this single-minded sincerity takes up uh, the form of generous giving. In other words, in some context where this word is used, that singleness, that single-minded pursuit of the Lord shows itself in generosity towards men. And in fact, several places in the New Testament, the Bible translates this word as generosity. Romans 12, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, the one who contributes in generosity, same word, in singleness, in sincerity, this devotion to the Lord shows itself in generosity. And that's interesting. Okay, and we'll come back to why in just a minute. Let's, let's also uh, spend some time on this negative phrase. Jesus says, if your eye is bad or if your eye is evil. And there are certain contexts where that phrase describes a greedy man, a stingy man. Here's two. Proverbs 28, verse 22, a man whose eye is evil hastens after wealth. 
What does it look like to have an evil eye? You hasten after wealth. What does it look like to have a single eye? You're focused on the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 9 says this. Take care lest your eye be evil toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. And so notice this, that the evil eyes described in Scripture as as the one eat up with greed, that they see those in need and they're so in love with their stuff that they don't give to the needy because their eye is evil. They don't have a single eye. And so a single eye toward the Lord shows itself in generosity towards men. And so I hope you see how Jesus' illustrations are actually not disjointed and separate. It's actually tied together. This is flowing right out of that first illustration of loving money. He's talking about this single-mindedness, this single eye towards the Lord, and he's warning us about this evil eye that's unconcerned with the needs of others. Christians don't store up treasure on earth, illustration number one, Because they don't have an evil eye of greed, illustration number two. They're flowing together. The same concept is in view. And so I want us to think about this. Don't be deceived for a moment. Don't be deceived for a moment. Your wallet reveals something about your heart. The way that you spend money, the way that you think about money, the way that you use money, it's not this little bitty tertiary thing on the side. It actually reveals something about your heart. It reveals where your focus is. It reveals where your treasure is. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 19, verse 21. He says, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. So I want you to notice how those things are connected. Illustration number one, store up treasure in heaven. Illustration number two, give to the poor. Don't have an evil eye. How do you know if you love money? Do you just look at yourself, you know, for three three or four hours and try to figure this thing out? How do you know if you love money? One of the greatest signs that you love money is that you don't give it away. If you love it, by definition, you don't give it. You don't give it. These are opposed to each other. This is why Jesus says, give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. He says it again in Luke 12, verse 33. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. And so several times, In Jesus' teaching, we see this link between storing up heavenly treasure and giving away earthly treasure to those who are in need. And Jesus explicitly connects these two ideas. And so, what can we learn from this? Well, this is one of the marks of conversion. Do you know that? This is one of the marks when when the transforming grace of God causes you to be born again. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. What does that look like? The Bible answers that question in many ways. In 1 John, it looks like love for the brothers. It looks like keeping the commandments 
of God. And in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching right here, it, it looks like you don't love money. That you live open-handed. You're not, you're, you're not fixed upon the things of this world. You freely, you freely received it, and you freely give it. No man is converted to Christ without a conversion of his pocketbook. It always works like this. It, it, it never works any other way. Jesus doesn't reform, you know, 50% of who you are. He recreates you. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God in the soul of man. This is the second illustration, the single eye. The third illustration is found in verse 24 where Jesus shows us the exclusiveness of loyalty. He says this, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot. Now, one of the most offensive things in our culture is the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. So we live in a culture that highly values, maybe more than anything else, uh, inclusive. Inclusive. Everything has got to be inclusive. And I want to remind us that Christianity is the most exclusive religion that has ever existed on the face of the earth. There is one Savior. There is one way to be saved. Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then Jesus says this, no man comes to the Father except through me. And so if we want nuance, you know, and, and, and inclusiveness, we got to get rid of Jesus. Jesus is one of the most exclusive teachers that has ever opened his mouth. And he's telling us here about uh, the impossibility of serving God with a divided heart. There's an exclusiveness to the kingdom of God. It's all or nothing. You're all in or you're not in. You cannot serve God and money. Now, the imagery here is not that you can't have multiple employers. So uh, teenagers don't take this home you know, to your parents and say, i got to get rid of my second job. Can't have uh, you know, two, two masters. The point here is, is you can have. You can have three jobs. You can have four jobs. The illustration here is not employment, it's slavery. Jesus teaches that you can't have two masters. And what does it mean to have a master? Well, the word master means that's the one uh, that I'm totally devoted to. My total allegiance is to my master. And so it makes sense, right? There's a fittingness to this. You can't have two masters. You can't have two people that have your total allegiance. So the imagery here is slavery. And Jesus teaches us that those who are mastered by money are not mastered by Christ. If you are mastered by money, you are not mastered by Christ. Money cannot be Lord and Jesus Lord at the same time. There's an exclusiveness here. And again, he's just, you know, all through this teaching, He's just pounding this binary choice. There, are no, there is no neutral ground. You either serve God or, you, or you're, uh, you'll serve money. 
Let's just pretend for a second. Well, what about all those nominal Christians? You know, what about all those nominal Christians? They don't exist. They don't exist. If you're not for Christ, you're against Christ. Well, what about those who serve Jesus a little bit and serve money a little bit? He's scrapping the neutral ground. There's an exclusive claim here. To be a halfway Christian is to be an enemy of God. Jesus teaches us here that anyone who tries to divide their allegiance between God and money has already given their allegiance to money and not to God. It can't work any other way. This is why saving faith looks to Jesus as Lord. You are Lord. You are master in every way. You are my king. You are my authority. You are Lord. And so this is his command. He illustrates it three different ways. Be loyal to the Lord. Don't live for the things of earth. Live for the things of heaven. And then I want you to think about this. We ought to obey Jesus because he's Jesus. Right? Like anything Jesus says, we should obey him. Why? Because he's Jesus. He's the Lord. But I want you to notice that Jesus actually gives us reasons why we should obey him. And he doesn't have to do that. This is gracious explanation of, of you should listen, you should obey, you should hear me for these reasons. And he gives us warnings, and these are gracious warnings. He doesn't have to do that. And he gives us motivations. And again, he doesn't have to do that. He loves us. He's trying, he's trying to inform us of the fittingness of how fitting it is that you live for the things of heaven and not for the things that are on the earth. And so let's walk through these three warnings together. The first is found in, in verse 19. Why should you obey Jesus Christ? Why should you obey him? The first warning is because of the folly of temporal treasure. That's why you should obey him. Because if you don't hear him and you go the opposite way that he says to go, all you have is the temporary. In verse 19, he describes the treasure that is on earth as fickle and fading. Moths can destroy it. Rust can destroy it. Thieves can break in and steal it. It's not secure. It's fickle. It's fading. It can be taken from you in lots and lots of ways. Lots of ways. Termites and tornadoes. Pandemics and prodigal sons that spend all your money. Corrupt thieves and cancer. Bad business deals and stock market crashes. All the wealth that you've ever stored up can be gone faster than you can ever imagine. It's fickle. By nature, it's temporal. It's fading away. You know, there's a billion-dollar industry in America called the financial industry. And it seeks to provide financial security to all of its customers. That's the whole goal of billions of dollars that are spent. Now, if you're a financial planner, I'm not saying this is a bad job. But I'm saying we could line up every financial planner who's ever walked the face of the earth 
And we still could not overthrow this principle that Jesus is pointing us to. It's temporary. No financial planner can change that. It's fading. It's open uh, to corruption. It's temporary. And at the end of the day, it's going to burn. It will not uh, last forever. It is not eternal. And so Jesus is, is pulling back the nature of the earthly. Is it doesn't last forever. Therefore, don't choose the temporary. Don't choose the stuff that's going to burn. You know, the one thing that you will never see, and I should probably modify this and say the one thing that you should never see, because we live in a jacked up world sometimes, is you, you should never see a hearse that carries a coffin to a funeral. You should never see a U-Haul hooked up to the back of it, right? You'll never see a, 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 a hearse carrying a U-Haul. We all know this by nature. That once you die, you can't take your stuff. You cannot take your stuff with you to heaven. It's temporary. And we know this. Everything of this earth is temporary. And Jesus tells a parable about a rich fool that illustrates this principle. And so I want to ask you to turn with me to Luke 11. Sorry, Luke 12. And we're going to read this parable together beginning in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night... Your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I want you to think about how many people this parable will describe on the final day. That they went their whole life and all they ever thought about was the earthly. How to get the earthly, how to accomplish the earthly, and they never thought about their souls. They never thought about the thing that was eternal. Their whole life, only and always, was about the temporary, the earthly. And the Word of God calls this person a fool. Only the fool chooses the temporary over the eternal. Jesus teaches. Uh, he asked this question, what would it profit a man if you could gain the whole world, Jesus says, and lose your soul? If you could have all the wealth in all the world and lose your soul, there's no profit in it. And only the fool chooses the temporal, the earthly, over the heavenly. And so we need to be warned, don't be a fool. 
Don't choose the earthly. Don't store up the things that are on earth. Store up the, the treasure that is in heaven. Second warning. Verse 23. Jesus says, if your eye is evil, it's going to affect your whole life. He says it this way in verse 23. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Full of darkness. And so, heed the warning. Don't pretend like you can make this little bitty compromise and lock it away in this little hidden portion of your life and everything else is just going to be godly. You're just going to have this one little compartment that's compromised. But it's not going to leak out into, into the other stuff. You're going to be godly. Everything's going to be fine. There's just be this one little compromise. Jesus says, no, no. If your eye is bad, your whole body is affected. Your whole body is filled with darkness. And so disloyalty and a love of money, it corrupts the whole life. It corrupts the whole person. And Jesus even says at the end of verse 23, how great is that darkness? This is a reference to judgment. It corrupts and God will judge this is the warning. It won't be this little bitty part of your life. It'll fill your whole body with darkness. Warning number three. Verse 24. Is just pressing uh, this principle that Jesus gives us. You cannot serve God and money. And so I want to plead with you this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. You cannot. He doesn't say you may not be able to. He doesn't say you're probably going to fail. He says you cannot. It is absolutely impossible for you to serve God and money. If you try, what all that you're going to find is that you're a slave to money and an enemy of God. James 4.4 4 says it this way. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There's no compromise. You can't compromise with King Jesus. The only thing that the Lord our God accepts is exclusive devotion to him. If you play halfway games, you're his enemy. You cannot serve God and money. And so how dangerous is it to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world? Of you, you know, play the religious game on Sunday and then you go and live your carnal life Monday through Saturday. How dangerous is that? You cannot serve God and money. You might think you're doing it. You might think you're doing both. But what Jesus says is all you're doing is really serving money and making yourself an enemy of God. To dabble with Christianity is to damn your soul. To dabble in it, to play around with it a little bit is to damn your soul. It's an absolute claim on the whole person. This is why the call to come to Christ it's said in this way over and over in the Gospels. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and let him follow me. We deny ourselves and we must 
Come after the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only way into the kingdom of God. Christianity is an all-in religion. You know that metaphor? All-in. We're all-in with Christ. In fact, the Bible says that we are so all-in with Jesus that if it were to turn out that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15 says we're the most pitiful people on the face of the earth. That's how sold out we are to this gospel, to this Christ. Everything is in. All the eggs are in the basket. We are all in with Jesus. And if he's not raised, we're the most pitiful people on the planet. A call to Christ is exclusive devotion. We need to be warned about a divided heart this morning. These are the warnings. And I want you to uh, think about how gracious it is that he actually gives us motivations to obey him. And there's three of them in this passage. Motivations to choose the eternal over the earthly. And each of these motivations, these are glorious gospel motivations. And what I mean by that is these motivations are only true because Jesus came, he died for our sin, he rose from the dead, he's caused us to be born again by grace. These are gospel motivations. And the first is this, is the eternality of heavenly treasure. And you find this in verse 20. And this is the opposite of the warning. The earthly treasure is temporary. But Jesus says the heavenly treasure is not. He says it's neither moth nor rust destroys. It's where thieves do not break in and steal. It's secure. It's eternal. It doesn't fade away. It's not fickle. The eternality of heavenly treasure. And this is the treasure that is awaiting every single person that has put their trust in Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear how it's said in 1 Peter chapter 1. There's this, there's this inheritance that is being kept in heaven for us. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to an inheritance. Listen to how it's described. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. When's the last time that you meditated on this, brothers and sisters, that there is an inheritance because of Christ, because of his grace in your life? There is something that's being kept for you, reserved for you, protected for you, guarded for you in heaven. There's something for us in heaven and it's undefiled. It's incorruptible. It cannot be taken from us. And this is good news, right? Because if everything in this world were taken from us, everything, this would be untouched. The riches of Christ. No one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Heavenly treasure. 
better than anything this world can offer. The things of the world are temporary. They fade away. The things of heaven abide forever. Therefore, choose the heavenly. Choose the heavenly inheritance. Choose the heavenly reward. Motivation number two. Loyalty does us good. Loyalty to the Lord does us good. I want you to notice that the singleness of I is good for us. Jesus says in verse 23 that if your eye is single, your whole body is full of light. Now that's an awesome picture. If this is right in your life, this single-minded devotion to the Lord, it affects everything else. Whole body full of light. And this is one of many places where God's glory and our good are not separate things. They're actually the same thing. That our good is found in His glory. They're not separate things. And so when we're loyal to God, it glorifies God. But guess what? It's also good for us. It fills our whole body with light. And so you should follow Jesus because he's good. You should follow Jesus because he's true. You should follow Jesus because there's no other way to be saved. You should follow Jesus for his sake. And not merely what you can get out of it. You should follow him because he's Lord. But what you will find if you follow him is that you'll never be more satisfied than following Christ. You're going to find that you'll never be more joyful than you are when you're serving Jesus with single-mindedness. You know why? Because you were made for this. This is what you were made for. The single eye means your whole body is full of light. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, if I find myself, if I find in myself, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Amen. You were made for Jesus. And all things were made for Jesus. And so how satisfied will you be when your life lines up with the reason for which you were created. It'll be like this. It'll be like your whole body being flooded with light. Jesus is the light of the world. And to have Jesus means that you have the light of life. It's good for you to be loyal to God. It's not a downer. It's not this you know, giving up pleasure. It's trading these temporary pleasures for the glorious ultimate treasure that is Christ Jesus. Glorious light. Last motivation is found in verse 24. Jesus uses the imagery of slavery in verse 24. We've touched on it several times. I want you to think about this. What possible motivation? What possible uh, motivation could slavery bring? And I don't want you to miss the grace here. The glorious grace in verse 24 is that you can be a slave of God. There are those who have money as their master. That's the warning in this passage. 
But don't miss the grace in this passage. There are those who have God as their master. You can become a slave of God. Glorious grace. The Bible tells us that we were born slaves of sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are called children of wrath. By nature, this is who we are. Children of wrath like the, like the rest of mankind. Dead in our transgressions and sins. Slaves of sin by nature. But the Bible also tells us that we can become slaves of God by the grace of the gospel. Have you ever thought about this? That part of the glory of the good news of Jesus is that we can trade one form of slavery for another form of slavery? You ever considered that? That those who are slaves of sin can become slaves of God? But you must come to Christ. For that transition to be made, you must come to Jesus. Why? Because the slavery of sin has a grip upon you that you can't free yourself from. You are under its dominion. It is your master by nature if you are outside of Jesus Christ. So you have to come to Jesus and he must save you from your sin. And so these gospel pictures all over the place that in order for us to become a slave of God, servants of God, Jesus has to serve us first. The verse that Greg read to us at the very beginning, Jesus has to wash us from our sins in His own blood to purchase this new relationship with God. And so we have this choice before us. You can serve God or you can serve stuff, but you can't serve both. You have a decision to make. Choose this day whom you will serve, the Bible says in Joshua 24. Choose this day who you will serve. If money is the ultimate, if money is God, then serve God. But if the Lord is God, then serve the Lord. Choose who you will serve. Romans chapter 6 reminds us that Jesus came to break the dominion of sin. And this is, you know, one of the things we just worship the Lord for is we praise the Lord, the mighty warrior. What did he do with that might? What does he do with that title? What enemies is he putting under his feet? Romans chapter 6 tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mighty conquering Christ has broken the dominion of sin. And there's a new reign for the people of God. We're no longer slaves of sin. We are now under grace. We are being ruled by grace. We are being ruled by Jesus Christ. Jesus has come to break the dominion of sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Verse 22. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Slave of God. That's what a Christian is. You might have never thought about this before. And we need to make sure we understand, you know, and in the right way. We're talking about happy slaves. 
I don't want to be anywhere else than a slave of God. He is my master. We're not talking about begrudging service. We're talking about full of joy to serve my king. How's that for good news? Those who were slaves of sin by nature have become slaves of God by grace. Praise to his name. It's a beautiful reminder that Christians are slaves of God. Brothers and sisters, believe it today. The tyranny of the love of money for Christians has been broken by our strong Savior, the mighty warrior. Our eternal treasure is now hidden with Christ in heaven. And our greatest joy is found in serving our Lord upon the earth. So in summary, this is the teaching this morning. You're going to treasure something. It will affect the whole of who you are because the eye is the lamp of the body. And it's going to determine who you serve. So choose wisely. Choose wisely. I want to close with the words of Hebrews 13 verse 5. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we ask God that you would cause it to run to and fro and do good to us, Lord. God, we pray that you would use your word today to secure our allegiance to you as the Lord our God. God, we pray that you would use your word today to banish idolatry, to convict us of our sin. Help us to turn away by your powerful grace. Lord Jesus, sanctify your church. In your name we pray. Amen.